you've got some Bibles, if you don't have one or didn't bring one, we're actually going to be in it every week. At the tables in the back of the room, we've got some Bibles, and we would love for you to take one. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. If you've got somebody you know that doesn't own a Bible, tell them to keep it. If not, stick it back on the table each week, and uh, we'll reuse them. We are actually starting a series today called Life on the Road, Stories of a God Who Meets Us Right Where We Are. The idea is really this, that Jesus spent literally, I'm probably, my, my light guy, maybe he can turn these back on. Can we get these back on? That'd be awesome. Otherwise, I just can't see. He's right here. Either way, um, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry on the road, traveling literally with this band of disciples. He would walk through the Judean countryside, and they would encounter people along the way. And some of the greatest moments in Scripture come when Jesus encounters these men and women and children on the road and literally meets them in the middle of their life. Whatever it is they're struggling with, dealing with, or their issues, Jesus steps into the middle of it. We see Jesus stepping into the middle of all kinds of issues and struggles that people have. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to be exploring the idea of a God who steps into the middle of our lives, in the middle of our issues, and meets us where we are. We're going to talk about a God that steps into the middle of our pain, our suffering, our loss. We're going to talk about a God who steps into the middle of our secrets, of our fears, of our triumphs. But this morning we're going to look at God as a God who steps in the middle of our own personal plans, in the middle of our own personal agendas, in the middle of our own kind of living our lives our way. Now how old were you when you realized that maybe your best laid plans were not really the best plans, right? I think we all come to this time in our life where we realize that, that we're not as smart as we think we are. And it usually happens somewhere in the vicinity of about 13 to 15. When you hit this moment where you go, huh, I really don't quite know it all. Now, you don't ever tell your parents that, right? You live that out until you're about 24. But there comes a time when you, dis- you figure out that you may not have it all together. And that you can have the greatest plans, but they don't always pan out. I remember I played basketball my whole life. Loved basketball. But Dad played in college. We just were a basketball kind of driven family. The one thing that I always wanted to be able to do and and can still do is dunk. No, I'm that was many pounds ago. Um, but I wanted to dunk all my life. Like growing up, that was like the big thing. Michael Jordan was my hero. And I wanted to do everything that, that he did. And so I wanted to be able to dunk. We had a basketball goal in our driveway. And we had one rule at our house. And the rule was this. If you're going to shoot baskets, have dad move the car. That was it. Because the car parked right underneath the basketball goal. And inevitably it had these giant dents. which like Oklahoma hail-sized dents right in the middle of your car hood. And so the rule my dad had was, listen, I don't care where I am. Just come get me. I will move the car. Now, sometimes dad would park that car with just enough room under the basket that if you made everything, it'd fall straight down and miss the car. There's a lot of work to go in there and actually get dad to have him move the car. And so I was looking at this one day and I was thinking, I got a good three feet. If I don't miss, we're going to be just fine, right? So, but I knew the rule, but then I started looking at it closer and I said, and I just had this brilliant idea. I said, I bet if I climbed on top of the car, I could jump off and dunk it. We had a Suburban, by the way. Um, big, tall car. And so I got up on the hood, and I looked, and the rim was like right here, and I was about three or four feet away, and I thought, well, this isn't quite high enough. So I climbed up the windshield to the very top, and it's like seven feet tall. And now I'm looking two feet down at the basket like this. And I'm, it's kind of far out there, and I've got this basketball on my hand, 
and I'm thinking, this is brilliant, because this is what it's getting Michael Jordan must feel like. I kind of get a little running start across the, the roof of the car, and I jump off, and I do this amazing whatever, and I'm the hero. I've been the hero in my driveway so many times. Um, I was like, I'm going to be the hero. This is going to be great. And it just made sense. This plan was beautiful. There was not a thing that could go wrong, right? This was perfect. Um, I would float safely to the ground. It was going to be brilliant. So, of course, I get the basketball. I get a running start. You know, you've got to be careful. It's got a luggage rack on the top. So you've got to get your high steps up. You don't want to trip. That could be a mess. And so I kind of got a little jump. But you've got to run fast because if you don't, it dents the roof, right? I was figuring out. So the faster you run, the better, you know. And, and so um, I know I look like I'm built for speed, but really I'm kind of slow. And so I, uh, I got a little kind of like a triple jump hop. And I jumped off, man, and I did some kind of beautiful little move, and I dunked that ball, and I was hanging on that rim, and all of a sudden I heard this crack. And I was thinking, that's not good. Whatever that was could not be good. So I instinctively let go. And by, by when I let go, I think I was like, my, I was like perpendicular or, or parallel to the ground, and I let go, and I just fl- fell straight to the ground and landed back first. Boom! And have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Okay, there's no more petrifying feeling in the world. I feel like someone could rip my heart clean out, and it wouldn't be as bad as having the wind knocked out of you. Because you're like, you know, you're thinking you're just dying. So I got the wind knocked out of me. I'm trying to scream. No one's coming. And I look up, and that rim is dangling like this. And then it just goes, boom, right on my head. I I mean, and that thing, I almost brought one because it weighs like, a ton, like 50,000 pounds, and it was so heavy, and it fell in my head, and I remember I couldn't see anything, you know, you get hit in the nose, and all of a sudden, my eyes are watered, I can't breathe, my dad comes out, because he hears all the commotion, I'm laying there, nose is bleeding, I'm laying on the ground, it, it, the basketball goal is broken, and immediately my dad knows exactly what I did, because I'm thinking he, he kind of t- would have taught me something like this, but he knows what I did, and all he did was look at me, and he just goes, there is no way you are my son. And I was like, you know, of course, my mom raises out. She's like, call the ambulance, you know. But I was like, he's fine. Rub some dirt on it, you know. And so we, uh, I, I survived. We didn't have to go to the doctor or anything like that. But there comes a time when we, we realize that our plans, maybe not are, are the best plans. And we're going to look today at Saul, who later becomes Paul. And, and Paul's got an agenda. He's got a plan for his life. But as we're going to see, um, sometimes our plans don't, don't always pan out to be the best plans. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, um, go ahead and grab it. If not, you can uh, follow along um, with me. So before we open God's Word, let's pray together. God, you are just so good, and we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in this place. Um, Lord, we thank you for the men and women and children that you have brought here. And God, we pray that you would just open our hearts to what you're doing. Take just a second in your own heart and, and just, just ask God, to teach you this morning. Just say, God, teach my my heart this morning. And pray for somebody beside you or behind you, even if you don't know their name. Just kind of whisper to God and go, God, I just want you to show yourself to them. And pray for me. Pray that up here no selfishness or self-righteousness, just an empty and open vessel that God can use. God, you are so good and we are so grateful. Teach us through your word this morning. Make it come alive. Penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Saul, let me give you a quick little word about Saul, and then we're just going to kind of work through this text a little bit together. Saul was the up-and-coming of the religious elite. I mean, he was going to be a Pharisee. He was trained in all the right kind of avenues to be the super kind of leader of the religious institution at the time. And he was a young, charismatic, dynamic guy who was smart, and everyone looked up to him. And we know this about Saul because he kind of gives us his whole background. Saul ends up becoming Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament. We know a lot of his background from some things he even talks about himself. But he was the up-and-coming Jewish religious elite, okay? And so you've got to keep that in the back of your mind as we kind of dive into this text. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest, and he asked him for a letter to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul, who can't stand Christians, he hated Christians for a couple of reasons. One, because they were common people. And, and being a religious leader was really like a birthright. They were common people, these, these Christians. And he also hated them because they, they claimed that Jesus was God. That he was, he was raised from the dead. And, and Saul, as a re- Jewish religious leader at the time, hated that. And so he decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands and kind of rid the world, if he could, of this little sect of Christians that were causing so much problems. So he went to the high priest, which is like the big dog or the head honcho in charge, and he says, listen, if you're not going to do it, I will. If you give me a letter from you, signed and stamped, I will actually go to Damascus, which was a region and a town, by the way. He goes, I'll go to that region, I'll just round up all the Christians. I'll knock on doors, I'll arrest them, I'll take them in, and we'll haul them off to jail back here in Jerusalem where we can put them on trial ultimately have him killed well the high priest says fine because he doesn't have to do it and so he says great he gives him this letter and paul or saul goes off to imprison anyone that was a part of the way and 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 saul actually calls this group of christians the way and some scholars believe it's because in john 14 6 jesus says i am the way the truth and the life some say it's because it was sort of the way of the Lord. Either way, this is the first time we get to see this church, this group of people, this Christian gathering with a name. And, and Saul refers to, refers to him as the way, which makes you think they probably referred to themselves this way. But he's got this letter that he can go arrest any men or women that are part of the way. All right? And he sets off on the road with a whole band of people. And verse 3 says that as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So a light goes off, boom, and he falls to the ground. In Acts chapter 6, when Saul is explaining the situation to King Agrippa, he says, a light brighter than the sun flashed around me. So we're not talking about some kind of little candle flicker that Saul was like, woo, bright. It was like... Boom! And it knocked Saul to the ground. This was a move of God. A light from heaven that flashed, knocked him to the ground, and a voice that said, Saul, why do you persecute me? So Saul's response is this, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I was like, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. That's really interesting. Jesus associates himself with the persecution of the church. So the church is being persecuted, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, get up right now where you are and go into the city, and I'll just tell you what you need to do. 
Then the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Saul, who takes this band of people to go capture Christians, is now being led by the hand into Damascus to wait on God, blind. Talk about a power reversal. So he goes into Damascus, led by the hand, and God just simply says, wait. And for three days it says he didn't eat or drink anything. What is That's incredible. I thought for a second the whole ceiling was coming in on me. Like, cowboy, like cowboys, you know? I, was like, I guess if it's got to end, maybe it happens right now like that. I like it. Hey, it's all good, man. I know. I wish we could get it, bro. Well, in Damascus, listen to this. In Damascus, in verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street for a man from Tarsus named Saul is there and he's praying. In the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come, place his hand on him and restore his sight. We don't know a whole lot about Ananias. We know this. He's mentioned one other time in the Bible and it's in the same retelling of this story. This is just a disciple in Damascus. God appears to him and says, listen, Ananias, in this vision, there's going to be a guy by the name of Saul. I want you to go put your hand on him and restore his sight. Listen to what Ananias says to God. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias said, I've actually heard many reports about this man, the harm he's done and is doing to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So it's kind of going, God, I don't know if you got the memo or whatever, but this guy's a pretty bad dude. And I think we do that all the time. The guy we're trying to explain, the guy we feel like God's calling us to do something, and we say, I don't know if you know God, but that's going to actually be really hard. You know, it's going to be kind of difficult. So Ananias is kind of explaining this to the Lord. I know you may have been busy, you know, trying to figure out how you made the giraffe with the long neck. But this Saul guy, he's a mess. He's a mess. Listen to what God says back to Ananias. God says, um, go, G-O, exclamation point, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God's response to Ananias, go. In other words, I don't care. I know what I'm talking about. Go. Then, verse 17, Ananias went to the house. He entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and Saul could see again. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias goes. He does exactly what God says. And he goes up and he touches Saul and he says, Brother Saul. Now don't miss this because this is pretty amazing. Saul came to kill him, to capture him, take him to prison and kill him. If I were Ananias, I'd be staying halfway across the room going, Hey, Saul! You can see. All right, talk to you later. Right? Now, Ananias goes up to him and he touches him and he says, Brother Saul. He uses a word that actually includes him into his family. Because God said he was going to use his man. He touches him. The most dangerous man in the world at the time to Christians. He touches him and he says, Brother Saul, God's going to give you your sight. Something like scales fell from his eyes and he can see. Now, it's really interesting because we all have plans, don't we? We all have plans. In fact, from grade school on, we're actually bombarded with the question, what is your plan? And the question takes a lot of different forms. It can come, what is your plan for college? What is your plan for marriage? What is your plan for retirement? What is your financial plan? What is your plan for your portfolio? What is your game plan? 
We're bombarded with the question, what is your plan? And we spend our lifetime trying to compartmentalize our lives into well-laid plans. But there's something that those questions all have in common, and it's this. It's the word your. What is your plan? Now, the problem biblically is that we're never really challenged to pursue our plans. We're never really challenged to be in pursuit of the best avenue for our lives. In fact, God never really is concerned with what our plans are. Instead, we have a God that we're called to seek and surrender to who has his own plan and a plan for our lives. And the amazing thing about God is that he shows up in the middle of our plans to reveal his plans. I mean, just ask Saul and Ananias. I mean, Saul had this great plan. I got this letter. I'm going to march into the town. I'm actually going to capture these Christians. It's going to work. People are going to love me. Man, God shows up right in the middle of it. Ruins everything. I mean, imagine Ananias. Ananias' plans were just to lay low. We don't even know who this guy is. He's sitting in his house, using the old adobe grill, whatever, making something in the, the little hut there, and God shows up and says, go touch the most dangerous man in the world. Hey, that's not my plan. I guarantee you, Ananias wouldn't sit around going, hey, I got an idea. I hear that real dangerous guy's coming. I'm going to see if I can poke him. <laughs> I guarantee that wasn't Ananias' plan. We all have plans. We all have our own plans. And there's some characteristics, some truths about our plans that I don't want us to miss this morning. The first is this. Almost always our plans are about me. They're about you. Our plans surround our lives. Saul's did. They revolved around him. This was really what was in Saul's best interest. Don't make any mistake. This was a political move Saul was doing. He was taking matters into his own hands as a young, energetic, dynamic, kind of charismatic guy that was going to go solve the world of its Christian problem. This, Paul wasn't doing the world a service. He was actually doing something for himself. Then people can say, man, you remember Saul? He's the one that ridded us of those Christians in the mess. And this was about Saul. I mean, Ananias is really about himself, too. His plan was to just be him. God shows up in the middle of it, and he goes, whoa, hey, time out, God. I don't know if you've heard, but apparently Saul, pretty bad guy. Whether or not we really want to admit it, our plans are really about ourselves. Even when we kind of tell ourselves they're not, we say, you know, this is really for my family, really for this. Our plans really are about us. They're really about making me as comfortable as I can be, They're really about putting me in the situation where I don't have to sacrifice very much. They're really about things that make sense. And a lot of times our plans are directly contrary to what God would have for our life. Our plans are almost always about ourselves. The second thing that our plans are is they're almost always about control. It was that way for Saul. This is what he was doing. He's going, listen, if you're not going to take care of this problem yourself, fine. Give me a letter. I will do it. Because it is so much easier for me to just do this myself. For a lot of us, that, that's the way it is at home. That's the way it is at work. If I'll just do it myself because it's just easier. But really, it's about control. Even those of us in here that pretend we're not control freaks, really our plans are about control. It's about making the best kind of adjustment to control the way things are around us. Here's the problem and the secret and something that kind of goes without saying, but control doesn't exist. It's an illusion. There is no such thing. Now, you can prepare and attempt to manipulate situations, if you will, but you really can't control. You have no idea what's going to happen when you leave here today. Who's driving down the street across from you and what they've been doing? 
You cannot control your life. Those of you that have kids that are teenagers or in high school, you know that control is an illusion. You can prepare the best you can, but you can't control it. And most of us have a huge issue with that statement because we so desperately want to pretend that we have our handle on the situation, that we lay out our plans, and if everything goes accordingly, it just works. Because our plans are about us controlling our lives. And the truth is, most of us came in here today with at least one, if not 50, well-laid-out plans that are about us controlling my own plan. And for a lot of us, that's the one thing we can't stand about God or the idea of a God or the church, is that somehow I have to give over my control to God. I've talked to more people, that's their big issue. But I can't give my life over to that. So our plans are usually always about me. They're usually always about control. But don't miss the last one. That our plans are always small in comparison to God's. God's plans are always bigger. I mean, ask Saul. He was going to capture a few Christians. What did God do? He knocked him on the ground, blinded him, and he's become the most influential Christian person that we know. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament Most of our modern theology and historical theology is built upon Paul's letters as revealed by God. Paul has influenced millions upon millions upon millions of lives. That's God's plan. Saul's plan, I'm going to go capture a few Christians. Ananias' plan, I'm going to sit here and watch the dirt mound or hang out with my friends or just be a disciple. And God's plan was to have him actually go and touch Saul, you think God needed Ananias? God could have looked at Saul and said, hey, Saul, you can see. Hey, look, I can see. He didn't need Ananias. So why did he use Ananias? He used Ananias because God's plan was bigger. God's plan was better. Our plans are always about us. They're almost always about control. And God's plans are always bigger. Whatever it is you're sitting here this morning with, I can guarantee you this, God's plan for your life is bigger than the most amazing thing you could dream up. And it probably is going to look totally opposite of whatever you're thinking. Now here's what I want you to take away this morning. Here's the challenge. The challenge for this morning is this. Let yourself go. Now we don't like that phrase because those of you that have been to a 10-year or 20-year high school reunion, you walk in and they're the quarterback of the football team or the, the cheerleader, whatever, the person you thought was like, totally just amazing in high school, just like really whatever. You walk in, they're like, Trev, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. You have really let yourself go, right? I'm not talking about it in terms of that, right? We've all been there. Well, you have let yourself go. That is not a compliment, by the way. Um, But we're not talking about in terms of that. We're talking about in terms of this. What if we actually let ourselves go, our agendas, our plans, our desires, and surrendered our lives to God? Do you know that we have a God that wants to show up in the middle of wherever you are? He's not waiting for you to figure out His plan. He's not saying, hey, just get it together. God will show up in the middle of your issue, your plan, your struggle, your agenda, and say, I've got something incredible for your life. And for some of us this morning, you are running and running and running. And you have orchestrated your life to just a beautiful mess. And God wants to step into the middle of it and say, I love you. I have a plan for your life that is so much bigger than anything else you could dream or imagine. What if we surrendered our lives to him?
What if we just said, I give up. I'm done running. And we just surrendered our lives to God. We have a God that wants to show up in the middle of whatever our agendas, plans, and issues are and redeem us. This morning, as we kind of close out in worship, we're going to have men and women from our prayer teams that are down here. I'll be down front. If you want to come down and just visit with someone, just have someone pray for you or just hear you, we want to challenge you to do that. If you're sitting there this morning and you know that God is moving in your life, that God is impacting you, do not leave this place here until you've dealt with God. When we're done singing, if you want to get up and move to the back and get coffee on your way out and hang out, do that. But let's leave this area down here for people that just want to sit and spend time with the Lord. But if God is working in your life and trying to get your attention and you know that he's calling you to surrender, whatever that is, don't leave this place. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never said, God, I want you to come in and rescue me, come down and visit with us. Let yourself go. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for who you are.